0: Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 21, verses 15 through the end of the book, actually, and all the people said amen, I think. So we will be reading John twenty-one, fifteen to 25. I invite you to turn in your Bibles and follow along as I read. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered And Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain until alive until I return, what is that to you? Well, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him and to him alone. Amen. We come to the conclusion of our study in the gospel according to John. And as we said last week, this final chapter is something of an epilogue in that it provides us with some information that helps to answer some questions that may have been on the minds of many in the first century church and those who have followed And one of those questions involves the very public denial of Christ by the Apostle Peter and how the Lord brought about Peter's restoration. We do not need, I don't believe, to rehearse in detail the events of the night of Christ's arrest to remember that Peter, after much boasting and vows of readiness to die with Christ, failed miserably when accused by a servant girl of being one of Christ's followers. Peter denied his association with Christ three times, even swearing by heaven that he did not even know the man. And that moment of treasonous failure on the part of the apostle whose affirmation of faith Jesus had once hailed as being foundational to the building up of the church. That failure was not a secret. It was a very public failure that would require a very public reconciliation. And as I said last week, I believe that that reconciliation began with the very private appearance of Christ to Peter on the first Easter. But it is certified here, a while later, in front of the majority of the disciples. So following their early morning communal breakfast beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Now we might wonder about the use of the name Simon Son of John, which sounds a bit formal to us, and it is in a way. You may remember when Jesus was first introduced to him by Andrew, Simon's brother, and Jesus said to him, you are Simon, the son of John, you will be called Cephas. Now Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock, and Peter is the Greek word for rock we don't know the frequency with which Jesus referred to him by this nickname, but we would not be out of bounds to suggest that Jesus doing so was not because he found the name Simon to be deficient in any way, but rather this new name was pointing forward to a future reality. You will be called Peter. And it was looking forward to that moment of sanctified clarity When Peter proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus declared, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he went on to say, on this rock, I will build my church. In other words, this kind of affirmation of faith... Resulting from the Spirit of God, opening blind eyes, enabling people to recognize Jesus for who he truly is, receiving him by faith, that will form the foundation of the building up of the spiritual house that we call the church. So now, in this moment of reconciliation, Jesus uses this name, Simon, son of John, in addressing this disciple, and in so doing, we assume that it brings back to his memory his first encounter with Jesus as well as that moment when he received confirmation of his affirmation. But Jesus' question must have caused some social discomfort. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Let us not forget that Peter, James, and John were the three whom Jesus frequently called to be with him at key moments throughout his ministry. They alone were present at the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. They alone were present at the transfiguration. They were the ones who were nearest to Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his arrest. And of those three, Peter is the one who emerged as the leader among the twelve. In any list of the apostles, Peter is the first to be named. He is the one who typically posed to Jesus the questions that they all had. And as you read through the gospel accounts, Peter is the dominant, daring personality, such as asking the Lord to invite him to walk on the water with Jesus, only to falter and begin to sink. And in the holiest of moments, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter is the one with enough courage as well as stumbling pride to open his mouth and make a suggestion to the Son of God as to what they should do next. Imagine that. And so when Jesus poses this question to Peter, the recognized leader of the disciples, it must have been terribly uncomfortable for him. All eyes have turned towards him as he is put on the spot under the questioning of the risen Son of God, whom Peter now knows, knows all things. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There are scholarly disagreements about the weight that is given to the Greek words for love that we find in these three questions. Some like D.A. Carson give little weight to their usage, indicating that John has a knack for using various words at various times to the degree that we cannot put a great deal of stock in it. Even here, John uses different words for feeding and taking care of and different words for lambs and sheep and Even different words from Peter's mouth when he speaks about, Lord, you know. But there are others who put a great deal of stock in the nuance of these words for love. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And the word is agapao, which over time has come to be distinguished as the supreme type of love that we associate with the divine. But when Peter responds to the question, he answers by using the word phileo, which we associate with a kind of familial or brotherly love. So for those who see significance in this verbal nuance, the rationale for them works like this. Simon, son of John, do you love me with this type of supreme love more than these men do? Now remember, Peter had boldly declared, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He had boasted to the Lord, I love you more than all the others. And now Jesus is asking, Simon, do you truly love me with the purest type of love, more than these men love me? And Peter, having been deeply humbled, by his own fear and cowardice, is now not so sure of of the depth of his devotion. He's been stripped of his false bravado. He's been humiliated by his own behavior. He must admit that he is an open book before the Lord, and so he responds in the affirmative, but he changes the verb because he dare not admit more than he knows for sure. And he also does not offer any comparison. He doesn't make any mention of his degree of love compared to that of the others. He has seemingly learned his lesson. Feed my lambs. And Jesus poses the question again but no longer asks Peter if he loves him more than the others do he he asks Simon son of John do you agapao me it is as though the Lord is asking Simon to sincerely examine his own heart and search out the depth of his love for him do you love me with all your heart with all your mind with all your strength with all your soul what's the state of your love for me Simon son of John And Peter answers the way he did before. Yes, Lord, you know that I have a deep, that I have deep affection, brotherly love for you. Peter is acknowledging that the depth of his love for Christ is already known to Christ. You know that my previous boasting was simply that. You know that my love for you then was shallow and my heart was filled with fear and that I, I failed in my hour of testing, but you also know that my love for you, such as it is, is real. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here Jesus uses the verb that Peter has been using. Simon, son of John, do you have affection for me? Do you have brotherly love for me? And this, we are told, grieved Simon Peter. The Lord has continued to probe Simon's heart, and by changing his question, by asking Simon if he has deep affection for him, it is as though the Lord is calling into question whether that's even true. And so to Peter's ears, the question sounds like, Simon, son of John, are you confident that you even have a brotherly affection for me? But in pushing Simon in this way, Jesus has provided the future apostle the opportunity to reaffirm his love and affection for the one whom he denied not once Not twice, but three times. And so perhaps even as the words were coming out of his mouth in final reply, Peter began to understand that the Lord had just provided him with the opportunity to be reconciled not once, not twice, but three times. Now, if that exegetical analysis is on target, then it strikes me that as a witness to this exchange, John himself picked up on the nuance of the verbal variations and preserved them for good reason, because this is very much the question for all of us, is it not? What's the depth of our love for Christ? Do we love Christ with a love that is sacrificial and surpasses all others? Or is it even safe to say that we love him above most things, or are there limitations to it? Do we love Christ more than we love our family? I am convinced that in the American church, the family has the power to subtly replace Christ in a way that is almost undetectable. Family decisions are made, not based upon biblical wisdom, but based upon cultural norms. And then we take those culturized decisions and we baptize them in what we deem to be Christian love, thinking that that makes it holy and acceptable to God, even though we are robbing God of our first love. And this same rationalization occurs when it comes to anything that we love. Take our material wealth, for example. We convince ourselves that our family has needs that must be met first, believing that the Lord surely agrees with that rationale, even though it is contrary to biblical standards. The American church needs to hear the prophet Malachi afresh when he declares the word of the Lord, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Simon, son of John, you love me more than these? And that's not simply a one-time question for Peter or for us. It is a question we need to ask ourselves daily. Do I love Christ more than this sin? Do I love Christ more than my reputation? Do I love Christ enough to be humiliated for his sake? Do I love Christ enough to be canceled by this culture? Do I love Christ more than my career or my spouse or my time or my children or my life? And as Jesus queries Peter as to the depth of his love, he responds to every answer with a commission. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then here's your task. Feed my sheep. What's our task? What's your task? How do we or how do you respond to the love of Christ shown to you in the cross? Bear in mind, this is the risen Christ who is posing these questions to Peter and to us. He has paid the price for Peter's sin and ours. He has conquered death and the grave for Peter and for us. He has reconciled Peter and us to himself already. And it is this victorious, risen Christ who is giving a task to Peter and to us. Now, who among us believes that such an assignment is optional? Peter's task was to shepherd the flock on Christ's behalf. What's your task? Far too many Christians operate under the assumption that our redemption is simply for us. That is, that Christ has worked this marvelous salvation so that we can be set free to pursue whatever makes us happy. That's not biblical, friends. Christ makes us holy, sets us apart, so that we are able to pursue God's holy purposes. This is why the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What's the answer to the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? First of all, what's the question? What is the chief end of man? And what is the answer? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In setting his task before Peter, the Lord also informed Peter that he would one day glorify God in his death. And he does this by reciting a proverb of their day that had to do with youth and old age, but Jesus prophetically recasts it to indicate that in his older years, Peter will be forced to to stretch out his hands clad in the crossbeam of crucifixion and John parenthetically explains this to his readers and with that Jesus says to Peter follow me are you willing to die for the sake of Christ do you love him that much because that's what's involved with the command follow me At another place, Jesus challenges his followers to take up their cross daily and follow him. Well, having said this to Peter, Jesus began to take a walk, presumably down the beach with Peter. And at some point, we are told that Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved tagging along. And Peter asked, Lord, what about this man? Now isn't that just like us, to be concerned about what the Lord's will is for someone else? (laughs) Why did the Lord task them with being faithful while being rich and famous? I would have been so good at that. And Jesus answers him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now this may be another loose end that John feels needs to be tied up because it seems that there were those who heard some version of this episode and came to the conclusion that the second coming of Christ must be nearing because John is getting really old. And the Lord indicated that he would return before John died. That's not what the Lord said. And so John is setting the record straight to avoid any disappointment among the saints in the event that he was to die before the return of Christ. But Jesus sets Peter straight, and John trusts that this record will set all others straight as well. Our task is to follow Jesus. The pronoun here is emphatic. You follow me. Well, as John signs off, he underscores his authorship of this gospel, cryptic as he has been, as the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he also wants his readers to know that what he has chosen to include in his narrative is but a fraction of all the things that Jesus said and did. In fact, Jesus was such a remarkable person that there is no end to all the things that could be recorded about him. John and the others were witnesses to a countless number of miracles. They were witness to so many sermons and lessons and verbal interactions between Jesus and the religious authorities and townspeople and outcasts and foreigners and notorious sinners and evil spirits. They listened as Jesus prayed and they worshiped with him and they sang the psalms with him and every waking moment was a time of spiritual learning that was absolutely mind-boggling. And it was also voluminous that if it would be possible to record it all John says there wouldn't be enough space in all the libraries throughout the world to contain all the scrolls that would be required to retell every single event in its fullness. So faced with such a difficult task, John has recorded those events that best communicate the truth about this one who was unlike any person who ever lived. Fully God and fully man, Jesus of Nazareth was and is the only means by which we may be saved. And as John said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That invitation is as true today as when John first wrote it. So let me ask you, have you come to believe in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, then I invite you to turn from your sin and put your faith in this one who died for you. Let me invite you to bow your heads with me that we might pray for a moment this morning.